Welcome back, everyone. This week, we are bringing back one of our favorite guests, Samantha Winslow of the Performance Horse Academy, who turned a lot of heads and opened a lot of eyes on Episode 8. If you haven't listened to Episode 8 yet, be sure to go back and take a listen. The Performance Horse Academy guarantees faster runs, sounder horses, and the most supportive online community in the equine industry. Their online-based programs and barrel horse blueprints are based on proven research and are customized to you and your horse. Be sure to check out Sam and the Performance Horse Academy at perfhorseacademy.com. That's P-E-R-F horseacademy.com. All right, Sam, teach us how to get faster. Kayla, take it away. This is The Money Barrel. Today, we are getting the chance to talk to Sam Winslow of Interval Timing and Performance Horse Academy again. You are our first repeat guest, so thanks for coming back. I'm so excited. And if you haven't listened to the first Samantha Winslow podcast, I think it's episode eight. Pause this, go listen right now, um, because we're going to be building off of that a lot. And I listened to it again this morning just to make sure I knew what we talked about and I didn't repeat myself a ton. Um, and we talked about a lot last episode. We did. It was so funny because I had so many of my friends reach out after that and they were just like, wow, did, did you guys like plan that ahead of time? And I was like, no, why? And they're like, she's like, they're just like, you covered so many topics. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess we kind of did. Hey, and we did. It was, it was great. I mean, I, I listened to it and for everybody listening, um, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to bring Sam back mainly because of all the requests, but after that podcast, I myself signed up for the Performance Horse Academy, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about, at least to start today, is like how Sam is fixing me, <laughs> basically. Oh. Well, oh, you, you can't be so hard on yourself, Kayla. Um, what I did see, though, in yourself, and I, and I see it with so many people, is just a, just a disconnect in the understanding. You're an incredible rider. Your statistics speak for themselves you know, I love stats um, and your, your statistics speak for themselves, Kayla, but every, every horse comes with like a blueprint and, and their structure really dictates so much of their ability. And when we don't understand that we, we now become, we're at odds with our horse, right? They're telling us one thing. We're trying to tell them how we're going to do it. And, you know, we're, we're going to do this. And they, they just, a lot of times it comes down to their physical capability and the inability for them to do what we're asking without hurting themselves. Um, and, you know, I, not that I like super creep you or anything, but um, you had a little yellow horse and I could just see that you weren't quite understanding um, what what the disconnect was between the two of you, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I I want to help Kayla," and and that's really kind of you know I was like, you know, in the last episode I was like, "Someone's supposed to send me pictures," and 
you know, that's kind of where it starts for a lot of people is, is when I can break down structurally how their course is, is built. And that always comes with a set of like, this is going to be easy. This is going to be challenging. And, you know, it, it, it just opens up the communication between you and your horse again. Yeah. And I, I want to kind of tell my side of it too, because that I, I was before we took the podcast last time, I was like, yeah, I'm going to send you pictures. And then of course I didn't because I'm always a couple months behind and everything I do. Um, but what Sam does is you can send her pictures of your horse and then a ton of other stuff, but she yeah. is able to like analyze the skeleton of your horse. And what's crazy is when I finally did this, um, I have a little mare that I'm riding. If people have seen the videos and I was having a problem with her, her and I were not communicating. Well, I didn't think she was my style. You can ask most of my friends. I tried to sell her for pretty cheap for what she's worth because I was like, I, her and I don't fit. Like I, I fit a different style horse. I can't work it out. Like she's never going to make a fraternity horse. Um, and she's beyond bred to do it, but I was just struggling and Sam saw a picture of her and was like, oh my gosh, this mare is built to do the job. And I was like, I don't know, like you clearly haven't seen our videos. <laughs> We're, well, I don't know if we'll ever run the barrel pattern. Um, and so Sam was able to take the picture of Lem, my mare, and break it out into um, her ratios, her structure. And without even me telling her the issues at hand, you were able to really give me a really good breakdown of like what Lem's good at, what I need to work on, um, which I thought was so cool because I didn't tell you the problems I was having. You just told me, hey, based on how your horse is built, this is how she's going to be successful. Absolutely. And it's super funny because um, I did one for Taylor Hildreth too. And like her comment back was like, it was like, I knew this horse and, you know, I tell that to people all the time, you know, their structure dictates over 80% of their ability. Yes. We have to take heart into consideration. Although, uh, when you sit in, in classes with Olympic athletes, like I do through the national coaching, uh, program we have up here in Canada, I take coaching courses and, you know, heart, try, will, those are all things that have to be nurtured. And it doesn't matter how able any athlete is, whether it's human or horse, if you chronically go against what they are built for, you will, you will break them down mentally eventually too. So you know, there have been so many advancements over the years in athletic training, taking into consideration the differences in the skeleton and humans. And, and we just were a little bit behind in, in the horse world on that. And we still want to rely solely on pedigree, which is not fair to the horse. We, you know, I, I know you have siblings. I have siblings. I'm short quote unquote, in my family at five foot seven, I have a sister that's five, nine and a sister that's five eleven. I've got literally the shortest legs on the planet. Like I have a 30 inch inseam and then I have a sister with a 36 inch inseam. So, you know, just because your pedigree 
is the same, it doesn't mean these courses are coming out the same. And so it's, we just really, really have to pay more attention to what their skeleton and their muscular structure is telling us is going to work for them. Yeah. And that, I mean, now that I've worked with you for, I don't know, six, eight months, it makes so much more sense. But one thing I wanted to go over before we really like dig deep into the changes we made for me is a quick, I guess, talk about like ratios versus size, because Lem is 14 right. one. We might be pushing 14, two, maybe. Um, yeah. and my other horse that I've had a lot of success on recently is 16, three. And yeah. when we started talking, um, you know, I said something about how I, how I ride Stella versus how I've been trying to ride Lem. And I was in my mind really approaching what I was doing based on their size. Right. And you were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's the ratios. Like their ratios yeah. are very similar. So you need yeah. to approach this the same or one of my quotes for next year, she has completely different set of ratios than these other two yes. And you were like, you will need to do this different on her to not frustrate her off the bat. So I just wanted you to kind of bring up like the ratios and size and how they do not correlate. Yeah. So height is not relevant to stride length. And that's definitely um, one of the most misunderstood thing about horses. And I, and I see people do that all the time. They're just like, oh, you know, my horse is 14 hands or my horse is 14 one. And so I've got them in a small circle and, you know, the size of your circle is directly correlated with their stride length. And so you can actually measure their stride length. We, we teach that in the program, but you know, their, their stride length is not any kind of a, a relation to their direct height. You know, again, with looking at Stella, who's, you know, over 16 hands, we've got Lem, who's, who's 14 hands and, you know, a couple shakes on top of there, their stride lengths are, are really within two to three inches, even though their overall height is eight, you know, eight to nine inches different. And it's just the difference of their build. Um, and I, I watch people do that all the time. I actually watch people do that with, with tall horses too. And sometimes tall horses, um, depending on how they're built, they have a much shorter stride. And so you, you give them this big send out and they're like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta take so many steps out here because my, my stride's not long enough, um, you know, to do this circle that you, you want me to do. And so, it, it's the same thing with the, the overall length of the body. Um, it, it does not dictate how bendy your horse is. It's, you know, your, your horse's body is made up of three triangles. There's one in the center, one in the front, and one, one on the hind end. And, and we're going to share some pictures with this podcast to kind of bring, bring some context to some of the stuff that we're talking about. But the closer that front and hind triangle are to touching or possibly overlapping, the closer the front and the hind triangle get, the less your horse is built to bend either side to side through the rib or over the top line. Like, you know how when we do a belly lift, they raise the spine. And so if you're asking a horse that's not built to be bendy to bend, 
their their body will be like no i can't do that no i can't do that no i can't do that and then it'll be like okay she's she won't let this go i'm gonna dip my my shoulder point down and kick my outside leg out away from my body because she's gonna think i'm bent and yeah. that's where we leave off on it and you know i th i think that's one of the hardest things for me um to get through to people is it's it's first of all the concept of what we need to bend is very skewed uh, a lot of bending that people are doing is really just disconnecting the head from the rest of the body and they're making these noodling necks which that that makes it really really challenging if you need to move over on your line anywhere it's actually impossible if you disconnect the head from the rest of the body but again we have to just look at the overall build and whether the body is connected or not connected and then work on those strengths because it's not that one is better than the other they're just different and so there's kind of just different rules to follow and you know we touched on that a little bit between lem and prim right like yeah Prim circle is going to kind of look more like an oval shape than a circle shape because of how she's built. And, you know, Prim is going to be a lot faster than Lem, but she's also, you know, going to struggle to turn a little bit more. So like from an interval timing perspective, Lem's going to kick Prim's ass in the turn, but in the same token, as long as you you know, put Prim in a position where she can keep her feet moving. And even though it's gonna look a little bit more like an oval shape, she'll catch back up and pass Lem again in the straight. So it's it's not, I don't know, everybody wants it to be like a one size fits all cookie cutter solution. And I mean, I don't know if some of you guys didn't have your mom buy you those leotards when you were a kid that was one size fits all. <laughs> And like that just doesn't work. I like I have nightmares of that because again, I have short legs. So I was that kid that, you know, looked like their parent maybe, you know, couldn't afford the right size because everything was always too big on me. And then my sister has giraffe legs. And so hers, you know, the crotch was always coming down, but it was like one size fits all, right? So we we have to erase that one size fits all mentality and really you know we really have so many different types of structures in the barrel pen our obsession with playing with different bloodlines and you know sprinkling a little bit of racehorse with a bit of cow horse with a bit of foundation it, it's almost impossible to even guess what's going to come out of them anymore and so you know, once that colt's on the ground, it's it's three to three to six weeks old. We can actually do its ratios right then and there, and and you will know what that horse is is going to, what its strengths and challenges are are going to be from there on in. Well, and you know, kind of what you said, and I, I meant to say this earlier to kind of kick us off, but the thing that I feel is like the most valuable about what you can offer besides your knowledge is, you know, I like to go to clinics. I love talking to my friends. Um, you know, I've rode a variety of horses, but I certainly have not rode as many as other people. And 
nobody has really watched as many runs, um, as you have, because that is what you do. But, you know, as a barrel racing as a whole, and a lot on this podcast, I realize it more and more is that like, we don't really have barrel racing coaches. Like we have, we have people who give clinics, which are fantastic. I mean, you have to learn somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. but when you go to a clinic, you are learning their way and what experiences helped them. Um, in, in, you know, every clinic you go to says you kind of have to adapt it to yourself. Um, and some styles work for other people, but you specifically look at the rider and the horse. And for that pair, you are able to help them. Um, so even though it's virtual from afar zoom calls, like, I really feel like your title should be barrel racing coach (laughs) because that's, that's what it is. And I really feel like that's needed. I mean, rainers, uh, cutters, you know, they all have trainers that they go and ride with or, um, see, and we don't really have that in the barrel racing industry. Um, like I said, I, I have a lot of friends I ride with. I send my videos and stuff and, you know, we kind of critique, talk about it, but still from like an actual coaching standpoint, I feel like that's really where your knowledge is able to shine. Aw, thanks. Because that's, that's really my goal in this is like, I have a ridiculous amount of information and knowledge and I'll, I will tell you, it's been the hardest thing I have ever done in my life is to take the stuff out of my brain, which is packed full. It's disorganized. There's for sure a few squirrels in there and put it down in such a way that I can, I can make that information usable. And, you know, it really is a work in progress. And I am so grateful for technology like zoom and, you know, all the video editing software I have and stuff like that, that you can send me a video and I can talk over it. I can draw on it. I can, I can break it right down for you. And then because I know the structure and the biomechanics, I can draw that right on there for you. Right. Like, you know, in some of your videos, we've, we've talked about posture, right. And, and we were able to nip that in the bud before it became a problem, right? And, and I think that's where so many people, the horses have so much ingrained muscle memory from patterning before they can do the individual moves that it really becomes like a run-on sentence. Their, their pattern, their, there is no distinguishable moves and there are 10 distinguishable moves on the barrel pattern and, you know, someone who has a lot of feel, um, I mean, I look up to that all the time, but that doesn't always mean that they can transfer that to someone else. And, you know, we, we, we've compared you a couple of times to other people and you're like, you know, I want to ride like so-and-so, or I want to do like so-and-so. And I'm like, okay, Kayla, but you have, you're tall, you have long legs, but you also have uh, a longer upper body, which puts your elbow higher um, along the side of your body, right? It doesn't land when you're sat in a saddle. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't come, your elbow doesn't come down to your hips. 
So, you know, it's like, okay, but we have to adapt this to your body, right? And I think that's the, the part that a lot of clinicians miss when they're trying to help someone. And I, in my heart of hearts, I believe that everybody does it to try to help. I, I have to believe that, or I can't believe in anything, but sometimes they just don't have that basis where they can say like, oh yeah, this is going to look completely different on you. And you, I can't tell you to put your hand any lower because then I'm actually taking away your strength, right? Our, our arms, when we're holding our reins, we never, we never want the angle between our forearm and our upper arm any, any greater than 90 degrees. So if I tell you to start riding with lower hands, all I've done is taken away your strength, right? And, mm -hmm. and then you're going to be so frustrated. But every, I mean, we could go online right now. We could find 50 articles of people that say you have to ride with your hands lower. But if we looked at those people, their elbows are lower on their, the, the side of their body. Yeah. So they don't, they just don't see those differences. And, and again, that's where I, I have invested a lot of time and a lot of money to look at this from a coaching perspective. I have always loved coaching from an early age. And, you know, I, I do feel like where it is my strong suit because I have the analytics and for the most part, sometimes to a fault, <laughs> I can leave my feelings out of it, right? Yes, yes, you can. Oh, <laughs> regardless, yeah. of, regardless of what I want to hear, oh. you tell me the facts. I know. And I know sometimes, sometimes I have to like send another message after and be like, remember, I'm saying this with love or whatever, <laughs> right? Because, because I am so direct, right? Like I just, I really am like that weird math lady meme where it's like all these circles and triangles and rectangles and horses and people. And it's like making this weird picture in my brain. And I literally just speak it as I see it. And I draw the pictures and stuff like that. But sometimes I listen to stuff back and I'm like, Oh shit. I should, should have put a little bit of a filter on that. Like, because I, I understand how many feelings are involved. We all do this because we love it, but we also are financially invested in this. We all sacrifice something to barrel race. I don't, I don't care who you are. You're, you're either sacrificing your family or your housework, or, you know, there, there is always somebody in your life who's like, oh, missing out on the annual family camping trip again and it's like yeah well if you if you'd stop putting it on the same weekend as the Pinocchio stampede every year I'd come but until, until you fix that right and so our our feelings are so invested but it's what makes us an easy target for marketing and you know I get personally offended on behalf of the whole barrel racing community how over marketed we are like how, how much we are marketed supplements and saddles and pads and our price threshold on average for barrel racing equipment is like 400% higher than what they market and relabel the exact same product to say a cutter. 
I, and I'm not even joking. That I doesn't surprise this. me. That really doesn't surprise me. I know, but it doesn't it like anger you at the same yeah. time, but we pay it, right? We set that threshold. So I'm like, I'm mad. And then at the same time, I'm like, well, we, and I include myself in this are all just a bunch of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's that lack of filter kicking in. <laughs> And, and I put myself in there because I get caught in it. Just, you know, um, that's, that's where, you know, I've got my non-rodeo regular person to walk me off the ledge, the spending ledge every once in a while. But well, let's, let's take a perfect example of that because I think when we started this and, you know, you analyze Lem and then I think I was talking to you about bits and oh, yeah. you were like, no, we're not going to change the bits. You're like, you need to send me your ratios. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so I sent you my ratios, which I'll let you explain that in a minute. Um, but it was analyzing me as a writer. Cause just like we discussed and this, this does come around to the bit thing, but, um, just as we discussed analyzing the ratio of the horse, you were like, Hey, we need to analyze you as a writer. And so I kind of just want to go through the story of how, you know, you analyze my ratio and then you're like, what size saddle do you ride in? This is what you need. This is the angle. Like, let's kind of talk about that because the saddle change you had me make was one of the most eye-opening things that I've got to experience. And now that I've been through it, I see it everywhere. Like I know people looking for saddles for sale. Um, you know, but, but basically the end of the story, which we'll go through all of it was that my saddle didn't fit me as a writer, which in turn was throwing all this weight on the front end of my mare Lem, which was causing her to absolutely not engage your hind end, skitter yeah. around and not really want to work. And being a barrel racer, I was like, Hey, what if I change this bit? Right. Maybe that'll help. And you're like, no. So let's go kind of from your point of view. Like, let's tell the story of like how so you changed my saddle. It's, it's kind of funny because this has been one of those weekends where, you know, how the universe kind of works in mysterious ways and Um, you know, sometimes it's quiet and, and then all of a sudden everything like just piles together. So, um, this past weekend, uh, four different students, uh, competed at different, different places and they all had their, their best showing. And all of those people, we, I changed their, their saddle, um, the, the saddle, the saddle fit is, is such a huge piece. And again, it comes down to our vulnerability. So very, and this is something, oh my gosh, you don't even know how many filters I have to apply to broach this with people, because I know it's such a sensitive subject because the first thing we think is barrel racers is if I need a bigger seat, seat size, I'm fat or my ass is big, right? That's, yep. that's, that's the rabbit hole our brain goes down. And it has nothing to do with your actual weight. If you change your weight 
maybe like 30 pounds in a year, we might have to assess the cell size difference, but it has to be pretty extreme. You have to put a lot of weight on for it to make a difference. Um, our own build, um, you know, our horses kind of, well, they have a far more complex set of ratios because they've got four legs, not two, but when, when we look at our own body, the two things that we need to keep into consideration to balance your weight over your saddle uh, and to perform well in a turn uh, is the length of your um, forearm. So from, from your elbow, the crook of your elbow to where the, the bottom of the V is between your pointer finger and your thumb. So that distance is, is really important. And then the length of your femur. So when we, when we look at a saddle, right, we've got the cantle and we've got the swells and we need to balance our weight between those two points. As soon as your knee goes in front of the swells, so the, a lot of people might think that's the gullet um, and, and they're kind of right, but you know, as soon as your knee goes in front of the swells, you are transferring weight to the front of your saddle. Um, which, of, which of course our horse's body is kind of like a teeter-totter, right? So they have a center of balance, um, which moves around horse to horse, depending on their structure. But as, as soon as we put our knees in front of the, the swells, we push more weight onto the front of the bars. Um, and now our horse has to shorten their stride, um, disengage the hind end a little bit, and they end up traveling on the forehand. The which you showed in a video, which I didn't yes. know either, that when you weigh a saddle just by itself, yes. what was it like 60 or 65% of the saddle's weight is on the front end of the saddle without a rider. Right. So yeah. if the saddle sitting on a horse's back already more of the weights on the front, and then you as a person sitting there, if you automatically add more weight than you need to. You're yeah. just front end loading the front yeah. end of the horse without even yeah. doing anything. Absolutely. And then the other component to it is if the cantle isn't the right height for you and way too many people are riding in cantles that are way too high and way too flat. Um, and if there's any pressure um, on your lower spine or your gluteus medius, which wraps around the side of your butt cheeks, basically, if there is any pressure on there, your body will rock forward in your pelvis. If your pelvis rocks forward at all, you have already transferred a huge percentage of your weight up and into your shoulders. So, you know, if your knees are in front of the swells and your pelvis is tilted forward, you probably have like 80% of your weight on the front of the bars of your saddle. And now you're like, your horse is literally forced to pack you on the forehand and they don't like it. At Which all. that was exactly what was happening to me. I was riding Absolutely. in a 13 and a half inch Tammy Seamus. I had won a lot of money in the Tammy Seamus. I mean, I've had success. I rode multiple horses. Um, and so this, this is not, you know, this has nothing to do with the actual products. Um, right. but you told me you're like, 
we need to get you into at least a 14 and a half inch saddle. And I was like, are you crazy? Right. What do you mean? I thought I was going to be like drowning, like just float or like floating in this saddle. And I was like, I am not buying a full size like bigger, like right. I, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, cause testing out something like that is quite an investment and you're like, no, no, no. Like you have, like we, I'm telling you, you just have to do it. Um, and then the cantle angle, like what you were talking about, kind of the same thing, the height of the Tammy Seamus cantle and the angle, um, with yeah. my particular build was yeah. just what you said rocking me forward on my pelvis, like just at the get go. So especially on Lem, who I really needed to work on sitting deep, sitting back, you know, trying to slow her down with my body, that saddle was just slightly rocking me forward. So that weight was going forward the whole deal. So you said we need a 14 and a half inch. I think, I think you wanted me to get like a cutting saddle. Right. And I was like, whoa, no, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I have to draw the line somewhere yeah. to test it out. <laughs> And so the next closest thing was a coat and you showed me yeah. the, the, the angles and you're yeah. like, try to find one of these to test it out. And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I think it took me a couple of weeks, but once you yeah. put it into my head, I almost started feeling like claustrophobic in my saddle. Like I could see right. it, I could feel it. And I, you know, I just had never known before. So yeah. I went searching on Facebook to find, you know, a used 14 and a half inch coat saddle, um, to test it out. And I mean, like night and day difference. Yeah. And, you know, again, I don't want anybody here thinking Tammy Seamus's saddles are bad. They are absolutely fantastic. If, if there's one thing we have in barrel racer land, it's literally a smorgasbord of incredible saddles. Mm -hmm. Like, Nothing drives me more crazy than those posts on, you know, some of these forums where it's like, what's better, you know, this or this. And I, it's, I do apply filter settings because I don't respond to those posts, but it's just like, they're both great. They just have, they have a different cantle angle and, and they did have a different stirrup hang and they have a different height to the swells. So they're going to feel completely different for two different people. Um, and that's and what I think is so important because there is going to be somebody that comes to you and be like, Hey, you need a double J, but I, you specifically told me, don't you dare go to a double J don't, I can't remember posies. what else you said. I told you specifically no posies because yes. you're not built for a posy. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't know that I had rode in some posies before. And, you know, like I said, it's not, it's not necessarily the type of saddle, but it's just the different no. build. And Absolutely. had you not have forced me to go that way? I mean, I didn't, I didn't even realize, but I got the bigger saddle. I sent you pictures to see where I was sitting the first yeah. day. I kind of was like, oh my God, like, I'm never going to be able to run in this. Like, right. I feel like I'm like just floating around. Um, but that extra space was able to get my center of balance over right. my horse's center yes. of balance and that weight off her front end. And like, I had never talked to anybody of something like that before. Cause it's always about saddle fit in the horse and right. not saddle fit for the rider. Absolutely. And you know, yeah, it, it is important that, that we find 
uh, angles of our bars and widths of our gullets that are that are comparable for our horses, but it's not nearly as important as as our weight distribution because we cause the weight you can put the worst fitting saddle on any horse and until you put the rider up there it's not going to do anything there's not a there's no weight and there's no pressure until we add the rider to the equation so we are that that determining factor whether that saddle is going to cripple that horse or not and you know i just I feel like I'm in such an uphill fight on this. Um, first of all, because every, everybody trying to sell somebody a saddle, they know they know where to cut right straight to the feelings, right? We have more feelings about our horse than ourselves. <laughs> and so they they cut straight to the feelings and and they, you know, oh, we're gonna fit this to your horse. The other issue I have with saddle fitters is like they're fitting saddles to horses that have horrendous posture, like deplorable posture. And it's like, oh my gosh, this, this horse is four to six weeks away from being able to even tell what its top line is supposed to look like and how that loin is going to fill in because it is, it's just got such terrible posture, which again, that could be caused by the saddle in the first place. But again, it's, it's, you know, 90% of the time it's, it's how the saddle fits the, the, the rider, not the other way around. We want it to be the other way around. We don't want to have to bear that responsibility. We also do not want to have to wrap our head around the fact that, you know, I need a bigger size, but it's, it's not about the seat size. Like the seat size is actually an irrelevant measurement because when you go from the back of the swells, to the top of the cantle, depending on on what the angle of that cantle is, a 14 inch saddle is completely different on say a posy than a coat than a seamus because mm-hmm. the angles of the cantles are all different. So again, we're using this arbitrary measurement to first of all stroke our ego, um, and and second of all, it's just crippling our horses. And because it, it has such a huge effect, it's not just the top line. It's just not just the loin. It drives the sternum down when our horses are constantly forced to carry us on the forehand. And as soon as you drive that sternum down, it restricts the stride from the hind end. Well, as soon as we restrict the, high, the stride from the hind end, we also put more pressure on the fetlock joint, the hock joint, and the SI. And it's, it's all of this stuff, you know, wrapped together. And, you know, that's just a small, small little stroll down, like how my brain works, but it's, it's not just one thing. And so, you know, it is for sure that one cause, but the, the effects are so far reaching for that one little thing for an inch. It's like, you aren't willing to give up an inch for your ego, but you're willing to sacrifice your horse's body for that. And, and again, that's going to sound super harsh, but it's true. And well, it so- is, it is true. And, and it might be harsh, but I think a lot of it more than anything comes from not ever thinking, Hey, I might be causing issues because yeah. of my saddle fit, because like I said, we, we fit it to the horse. We don't really fit yeah. it to us. 
because nobody really knows, or I mean, in general, nobody really knows what the ratios are because unless you specifically have looked into it and or measured right. and tested it, you wouldn't know. I mean, you just right. wouldn't. Um, yeah. But once you got the saddle for me, we still had a little bit of work to do because we had to do the right saddle pad and then still getting it level because I was yes. riding a colt. She was built a little bit downhill. So kind of yes. talk she about was, that. She was in a stage of growth, right? Mm-hmm. And that's again, one of those things, if you're going to ride paternity horses, you know, that was one of the first things I pointed out with Lamb. I said, she's in a stage of growth right now. So already her, her body is putting more weight on the forehand because the, the forehand has to catch up. So I'm like, we have to protect her front end right now until she levels out. Yep. So you had me put, I think it's the same saddle pad I was using, but then, um, pad it with some polo wraps or a standing yeah. wrap, kind of like a shim to get yeah. the weight of the saddle up. So it was yeah. level on her yeah. back, literally went to or Amazon and bought a little level to make yeah. sure the, lev- the saddle was sitting level on her back. And by doing that, I mean, we just alleviated like so much weight off her front end and you could tell within just a couple weeks of riding her, like she wasn't as squirrely, her confidence was coming back. She wasn't trying to kick out that hind end and kind of scramble because she actually could get on her hind end going into a turn without being dumped on her front end. Like she could do it without me hindering it. And for this horse, I mean, she doesn't take any BS. (laughs) Like if it doesn't work for her, she's going to tell me. And that's why we were butting heads so hard. Um, cause I didn't understand what she was trying to tell me, but like the saddle move made such a difference in like her ability to do her job and her willingness to do it. And, and I think, I think forever forward, no matter how long Lem stays in your barn, you will be grateful that she opened up your ears and she made you listen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you and I have had a few conversations and I've had a lot of conversations with students on this where we think we want a complacent horse. We think we want a horse that when we tell them what to do, they say, you know, when, how, you know, they just, they just do it and they do it to the best of their ability, but we aren't always right. And, you know, Lem wasn't willing to sacrifice her body anymore, even as a four-year-old. And, you know, I'm grateful. I mean, they say horses come to us to teach us and, you know, some stay in our lives longer than others, but you know, I, I would say that no, no matter how long she stays with you, you can tip your hat to her and say, thank you for not being complacent. Thank you for not giving in because you would not have a sound horse right now, you know, this many months down the road. Well, we, we may not have been completing the barrel pattern <laughs> right, <laughs> right now yeah. if it wasn't for, but it is true. And I think a lot of people, um, I mean, a lot of people, me, I can just say me, um, like you said, like it's, it's fun to get on the horses that are really easy, um, that just want to do it, that try really hard. And I, you know, I have two of them 
Stella and yeah. Prim that will do anything I ask whenever I ask, and they will go above and beyond to do it. Um, and Lem wasn't like that, but yes, now the more that I'm learning, I am able to hopefully not put my other two mares in positions that they will try harder for that then will get them hurt. Um, right. which is what I'm learning as well. You know, if, if we allow them to run like their body is supposed to, and you know, they are able to make it easier on them. We should have sounder horses in the end. Absolutely. Um, I got an amazing message from, from a student, um, this past weekend and last year she came into the program and her horse was 17 years old. Um, it had had pretty much lifelong injections everywhere. And we, we identified right away that, um, you know, the, the gluteus medius, which is, you know, right over the muscle right over top of the SI joint was way overdeveloped. So was the biceps and the posterior muscle group. So basically the, the whole group of muscles that's from the point of the buttocks, um, down to the tibia femur or stifle joint, um, was completely atrophied. And, you know, she came into the program and this horse had literally come to her. She wanted this horse for forever. It had been out of her price range and um, it had a fetlock injury the year before. And so the, the person who owned it wanted to be more competitive. And so she sold this horse. And so what we found was um, the, the bit setup um, that she had used before had caused this massive muscle knot in her neck over C5, 6, and 7 vertebrae, which is right in front of the withers. And when you have a knot in your horse's neck, and we did a little bit of work on Lem's neck to, mm -hmm. you know, get those knots to come out, then the whole body behind that becomes kind of stiff. And, and whenever we get overdevelopment over the S, the muscles in the SI and the bicep, it actually blocks the posterior muscles, right? They can't do their job anymore. And so I always call it a wiggle walk. And, you know, once we get those knots out and we get the sternum, you know, back up out of the way for three weeks straight, she just walked and she, she got the sway back in the walk and, you know, she, she went for her usual vet check about probably six to eight weeks after she'd been part of the performance horse Academy. And the vet was just like, what, what do you have this horse on? Like, I just, he was so sound. And so as preventative, they, they injected his fetlock, but didn't inject him anywhere else. And this year at 18 years old, he is sounder than he's ever been. And he held his condition through the whole winter. Like his body just looks amazing. And, you know, it's, it's a testament that it's, it's not always age, but if you give that body the opportunity for that skeleton to get back lined up again, and sometimes you need help from other people, right? Like I've told people like, you need to get a Cairo in here. Like that breastbone is completely out of place. You know, they're going to tell you the first and second rib are also locked. Um, but again, you can see this stuff in pictures once you learn how to kind of see the, the alignments and stuff. And, you know, sometimes we need a little bit of help, but you, you also have to start understanding and looking for those things like the muscle knots and stuff like that, because those are our warning shots. Um, and it, and if we don't address them, then that's when we start getting these like serious soundness issues down the road. 
Yeah. And, you know, for everybody listening, Sam does classes a couple times during the week. She has replays and all of that. Every single one of these topics could be an hour topic by itself. <laughs> like, we were just like <laughs> barely scratching the surface of a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah. But, you know, the soundness thing, my brain kind of works like yours. It trickles on. Um, and specifically what we've been working on and I wanted to talk about is like the figure eight drill and how it helps a couple of the individual moves we need. But, you know, I was just watching a class of years this week and the lead changes and where we do them in between first and second, and like what an important role that plays again in soundness, because I never once thought of when you are asking your horse to switch its lead coming right out of first, like how much torque you're putting on their body and that causes so many SI issues. I never thought of it before. And, um, and, and the power of a circle is letting velocity push you off, right? And it, it sounds like the craziest thing in the world until you feel it. Yes. But it's like when we're trying to get that lead change, when we're coming out of the barrel flat, when, when we're try, we're just, we're, we're just, it's kind of like a big cluster there. We take, it costs us so much time on the clock, but yeah, you're right. It also costs us in the soundness and it makes second barrel so hard. I feel sorry for the second barrel because it gets thrown under the bus all the time, but it's like, that's where you're lying to the first barrel, your first barrel, how you came out of the first barrel, all that piles up at second. Like it's, there's yep. so few horses that actually have second barrel issues, but that's where all the problems compounded from the first part of your run. And so there's so many knock second barrels and I see people schooling their horses and I'm just like, oh gosh, it's not going to fix it. <sighs> so kind of explain like the figure eight drill and where that ideal lead changes. I'm going to post a picture um, that you sent me, which is the 10 moves of the barrel pattern. And I guess we could yeah. kind of start there. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just kind of briefly go over them. But like I said, that figure eight drill and working on that lead change again, helped get me allowing my horse to be in the correct position to make it a little bit easier for her, which then she doesn't want to fight me. Um, right. But that lead change thing, like the location of it, I never really thought about. And right. now it makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, so we, we want it somewhere close to the middle. Um, it can be a stride closer to the second barrel for sure. It, it's definitely favorable. If, if it's not going to be in the middle, that it would be a little bit closer to the second barrel, but you for sure want it, um, you know, three strides or two strides before the second barrel to make sure that you've got that great body alignment. But, you know, so many people overcomplicate lead changes right off the bat, right? They try to bend their horse's body. They try to bend the face. They try to do all of these kind of crazy moves. And really uh, a proper lead change comes from the engagement of the hind end. And so by doing the figure eights, um, it, it helps you. And again, you want to have two markers in the middle, right? So you hold yourself accountable and you, you break down it in the center there and you do that simple lead change. 
But what that teaches your horse is, is to, first of all, complete the 180 degrees of the first barrel and then have that straight coming off of there and, and that engagement from the hind end and that lead change. And then you have so much better posture and, and the engagement you need going into second, right? Because that second barrel is 220 to 270 degrees. And so, you know, we've got to have some, some force going into it to be able to make that turn. And I mean, the other component of, I guess, I, it's kind of a two barrel drill, right? Is also being able to make 180 degrees and a straight, right? And, mm -hmm. and really practicing transitioning off and on the circle, off and on the circle. We, I, I mean, I've seen every barrel racer in the country do 73 circles in a row, but I've, I've never seen somebody come off and on a circle 10 times in a row. And this, the latter of those th two things is far more beneficial and shows up far more times in our barrel pattern because we don't even have a full circle, right? So. Yeah, and that, I mean, that alone kind of in these drills. And like I said, we'll, we'll post some pictures to kind of go along with this. Um, yeah. but yeah, even, you know, your single barrel drill, I was doing it yesterday and yeah, you usually do some big circles. You come in, you do a, you know, 360 degree, you circle the barrel a couple times, you go out, you do a couple circles. And when you're thinking about the moves you need on a barrel pattern, mm -hmm. you don't ever need a 360 degree circle followed by bigger circles. That and the any drill that puts a circle, an arc and a circle together, I swear I can pick those horses out from a mile away. And anybody who tries to circle before going into the arena and they practice doing a circle of circles, all it does is causes the outside of the body to float away. Yeah. And that's that doesn't belong on the barrel pen anywhere. So we do not want to build that into a horse that they ever, you know, make an arc shape coming away from the barrel. And you don't, I mean, myself, when you said that, I was like, oh, I mean, that makes sense. But like, certainly I can do a single barrel drill, but approach it from different angles. Yeah. And when I decide to leave, straight because we all know straight lines are faster. Yep. Um, that'll be easy. Yeah. No, no, it's not because I can guarantee you, you go to do this single barrel drill and your horse will wrap it more than it's supposed to. Or when you yes. go to leave, it doesn't have that smooth, straight leave, like you yeah. want leaving a pattern. Um, so yesterday I was doing that, you know, I was just going around kind of approach it like my second barrel, but then ask yep. her to leave in that straight line. And after yep. a couple of times, we both got it and we were good to go. It didn't take that long, but I've never yep. tuned one like that before. And it's like, why don't we do that? Because what we need is to be able to go straight into it, turn it like a third barrel and then leave straight. But we don't yep. really practice that. Right. And, and I think what we all get caught up on is, is watching the people that are absolutely flawless riders and can make, and I'm, and I'm not saying you're not one of those people, Kayla, you, you're, oh, we know talented. I'm not, it's okay. <laughs> you're plenty talented enough, but you also have an extremely busy life. 
you know, you work mm -hmm. full time. Craig works full time. You have the, one of the one of the cutest. I have nieces and nephews that I can't say he's the cutest, but <laughs> you know, your life is really really full. And and so when you go to get something done, it's got to be really purposeful. If if you're going to balance all of these things together and comparing yourself to somebody who who trains horses and gets to ride ten head a day again that feel that they have, their brain can't even articulate all of the things they correct on that horse in a millisecond to get the same result. But most of us can't do that. And, you know, if you want to make horses that can go on to the next person and, and be successful and stuff like that, they have to have the individual moves. They have to. Um, and every sport that does a routine starts that way gymnastics figure skating everything you do the individual moves and then you put them together in small combinations and then you turn your small combinations into a bigger routine and we don't want to do that we want to just put a pattern on them and if you have a ton of feel, if, if you ride 10 hit, head a day, I, I have no doubt in my mind, you can get it done that way. But for the rest of the world, that is not going to work because it just gets sloppy. And I want to just, I'm just repeating this basically because I've listened to your classes. So I know exactly what you're saying, but for those of that haven't watched it, people might be like, what is she talking about? <laughs> um, you know, but you sent me a list from my beautiful time in Washington. That was yeah. like check marks. This is what we have. And, and the moves yeah. are straight up to the first barrel. You're well, we've got a straight connected, you know, you connect a straight to an arc, an arc to 180 degrees, 180 degrees to a straight, a straight to a lead change, a lead change to a straight a straight to a, let's call it 220 degrees, give or take, depends on if you're on a standard or an oblong pattern. Um, you know, 270 to another straight, a straight to a 180 and a 180 running home. So there's 10 moves. Your, your horse needs those 10 moves on the burrow pattern. And, and one of the things that horses are lacking the most is a straight, straight, like a straight, mm -hmm body straight yeah and it's it's funny because you know I'll, I'll I'll question students every once in a while like have you been practicing your straights and every time it's just like oh no no I'm just like if your horse can't travel engaged straight that that makes up the bulk of our barrel pattern right like a standard pattern is you know right around that 650 foot mark and only about 90 of that is in turns so if your horse can't travel a straight straight with engagement from behind and, and great posture and and have their center of balance you know their horizontal center of balance leveled out in a full stride doesn't matter how much your legs kick you're you're not going to get those times on the clock that you want yeah and I you know we we've talked about it with with Len a lot and with Prim especially is you know, by knowing what you need to work on. And like you said, the combinations, like you can work on a very specific portion of it by Absolutely. itself or like the figure eight pattern and not necessarily use 
the barrels to do that. Um, and then when you put it all together, it's easier because you're not asking a colt or, you know, if you're tuning a horse to do all 10 of these things in a row, like once they know how to do it separately, you're able to piece it together and then, then it's almost easier. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think we can, we also have to remember sometimes it's us and our old muscle memory that's being, that's the problem. Right. And, you know, we, we ran into that with you a little bit when we were working, you know, on that transition into the second barrel. So I said, this, that's all we're going to work on, right. We're going to set up the pylons or cones and, and we're just going to work on, you know, from the lead change. That's where we started. We did the straight you know, the 220 degrees, and then we came off of there straight, right? And mm-hmm. to rebuild your muscle memory. And, you know, again, knowing where those transition points are, knowing where you can pick it up. And I mean, you can, you can watch or talk to anybody who's a dancer or a figure skater or whatever, you just pick it up at that spot and you just work on that thing that needs to be worked on. And then you just leave it right? You, you let that absorb, you, you let that sink in and, and we're just filling our brains, our horses' brains with like just way too much at once. And they're never able to catch, catch on. Um, and same with music, right? You, you learn different parts of, of a song, whether you're part of an orchestra or a band or, you know, learning how to sing, you, you, you learn it in chunks. And, and we, those of us who don't barrel race for full time, it's not our job. It's what we love to do. We have to do this. If you want to start making progress, you have to understand that, that, that is your road to success. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, and I think it's important to point out, um, that like this knowledge and where you are coming from is the belief that barrel racing should and can get even tougher. Oh yeah. Like, like that's kind of when we started talking originally, because, you know, some people might be listening and being like, you know, it's not about physics or it's not about, you know, that doesn't really make sense. It's about feel it's about the horses, which, which part of that comes into play too. But Mm -hmm. a lot of where your knowledge is like heading is not like this horse either can or cannot make a barrel horse. It's this is how we can make this specific horse better. This is how we can make this specific rider better. And, um, which, you know, when I sent you like prim, who's built completely different, um, I think one of your first things was like, oh yeah, she's going to have a lot tougher time doing this. And I can't remember exactly what the wording was, but I originally was like, oh, like, can she not do it? Is she not built to do it? But it was just, it was different. It was how I need to approach her training differently. And, um, I think that like, I just, I hope people realize that is that, you are able to help get that specific horse better based on their build. And to me, I mean, barrel racing is tough, but like the thought that it can and should get even tougher. I know. <laughs> makes me want to do like, my homework. 
I know. And, and, you know, I know people think I'm half crazy sometimes, but it's like, I have the proof. I, I have the proof from the physics and from the interval timing report reports and our overhead videos. I have the proof for it. And, you know, uh, we joked about it last time in that, you know, barrel racers are always worried if the barrel's on the center of the marker. And I'm like, well, we need to address the 30 feet you added in between the second <laughs> and the third barrel. But once, once you start to see it a little bit more and you doesn't, doesn't it make you watch every race differently yes. and you can see that, right. You see the winning run and you're just like, oh my gosh, there was still time on the table. And, and that's kind of how, you know, we had some fun classes, um, with, a with the NFR and, and, you know, there was, oh my gosh, I, I wish we could go back to Texas for the NFR or maybe they could turn that stadium in Vegas into like the same kind of a deal that they did in Texas. Cause, oh my gosh, it was just so amazing watching the ground was so good. Um, which we're going to talk about ground for one second here, but the ground was fast and, and it, it, but it was a level playing field. And I mean, we just saw some incredible horses and riders get it done. And I was just like, you know, we analyzed Haley's runs and in a turn, your horse can take a, a driving step or a balancing step in it. And you can see it in the posture of the body. And it's like, Around Haley's second barrel, um, sister took, I, I can't remember if it was two or three balancing steps and they're not driving steps um, with the outside hind leg. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's still time on the table, right? And I mean, that run was amazing. And I, and I don't say that in ignorance or arrogance, but it just gets me excited. We, we did it. We, we bred these better athletes. There, there are just so many tremendous athletes in the barrel pen but we have to remember that they're not all built the same so their pattern's not going to look the same they're not all built the same and if you yourself as a rider have a challenging build there's going to be certain horses that are going to be easier for you to ride and harder for you to ride and and that's okay um but there's still time on the table and i'm just like oh my gosh and and i know in some ways it's overwhelming, right? When we're just like, oh gosh, I'd, I'd love to run, you know, that 17. And it's like, we, we've got 16s hanging out in the tree and that fruit is getting lower and lower. We, we just got to reach out and grab it. And that's so exciting. I mean, it really is. And, um, you know, we, we will have routine podcasts with you on. Um, cause like I said, we have so much to talk about and yeah. you know, you and I talk multiple times a week. Um, yeah. you know, I send you all my runs, so hopefully we'll be able to go and, you know, be able to show kind of my story to, as an example. Um, yeah. but no, good barrel racing podcast is a little talk on the ground. And I know you wanted to address that. So let's address that real quick to wrap it up. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think what people don't understand about the ground is, is any race and any producer that is, is going to want to break an arena record and, and have fast ground you're unfortunately also going to lay out a horse on the ground in that, that same scenario. And it's not because the ground is bad. It's not because the ground is dangerous, but 
fast ground has no time and no patience for horses that are out of posture and out of position. Um, we, we saw it, there's a big race up in Canada, it's called the Canadian Barrel Horse Incentive and um, every year in the short go they, they rake after every five horses. And so what it does is it firms up the ground and it makes it faster and they were three one thousandths off of off of the arena record. They're they're running sixteen eights, and but a couple of girls laid their horses out on the ground, and you know we we use that as an example in class because when when we analyzed the runs of the girls that fell down, they also put their horses in in a very bad position to do that. And, you know, we, we've got to remember as, as barrel racers, if, if we want to, you know, if we want to start clocking faster times, ground is a component of that. It's, you know, sometimes it, it, it takes the, you know, it takes the, the blame and the brunt more than it should. But if we, if we want to start running faster times and, and break, you know, break the threshold like they do down in Brazil and stuff like that. We, we also have to be willing to have fast ground and, and fast ground. You cannot have your horse out of position. You can't have your horse on the forehand. You can't pull their feet from underneath them, which, which is what so many racers do, mm -hmm. but because it's Kayla, it's a weird thing. It's almost like we've gotten too good at making safe ground because it lets, it lets people put their horses out of position and they don't fall normally. And then they enter up at these big races. And, and we, we saw it happen a, a couple of times last year, there was one race in South Dakota and, you know, everybody wanted that producer's head, but they, they broke the arena record three times in that weekend. And it's like, we have to be, we have to be willing to, to recognize that. And if, if your horse is tripping on the backside of the first barrel and you're, and they're setting an arena record or your horse is falling down, you need to change your strategy. It's not the ground. And yes, there's bad ground. I live in Canada. You, you guys don't even understand. I had two students send me, um, from this past weekend and one of them was hawk deep literally hawk deep and we're not talking about on a pony here and I was just as I watched that horse slog around the second barrel I was just like oh my god my muscles are straining just watching this so I get it there there is there is times where the ground is is unsafe but if, if you want to run with the big dogs and, and we want to start, you know, pushing the time threshold, we also have to stop making the ground um, slower to accommodate the people because it is slower ground has has more stop to it. It's got more depth to it. Um, and, and so it prevents the horse's feet from, from being taken from underneath them. And if, if we want to start watching more 16 fives and 16 threes, and, and I know we have the horse flesh, we have the capability. There are so many that can do that, but 
we we also have to recognize that we're you're never going to break an arena record and and not have a horse fall in the same race very enlightening i mean you and i you and i have discussed it before because you know as a fraternity producer the ground causes me stress a lot um and yeah you you do see that and i'm you know kind of a big proponent i've never quite always thought about it that way but you know i see a lot more horses that are strung out or not even you know the fraternity colts especially the really good ones they all have you know really great riders on them but sometimes Mm -hmm. those colts just don't know how to handle their feet mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, they, and, they and can again, fall and it's, it's yeah. not, you know, in that particular case may not be the right or the positioning, but as a general rule, you know, the more we work to put our horses in the right position, then it'll get faster. But then the horses that aren't in the right position, they're going to struggle more. Absolutely. The, the faster and the better ground that it is, the more it separates the horses that have good posture and good positioning and the ones that don't have either good posture or good positioning, it amplifies it, right? Like it amplifies Mm -hmm. it both ways. And it's, it's hard for me again, because, you know, I, I sit at races with the interval timing and I have to listen to it. And I'm just like, Oh, that's not the problem. (laughs) And you know, everybody wants, everybody wants these arena records to be broken and stuff. And, but, but we've got to be willing to, to be responsible for, for ourselves and for our horses then too. And, you know, it puts the producers in a really shitty situation because a lot of the producers have the capability to make that record-breaking ground. I mean, the Black Widow groomers have definitely raised the bar as, as far as making like the best ground in the world. Shocker, you know, Neil Merrill's wife is a barrel racer, so mm-hmm. I'm sure he heard a fair bit about the ground before building it. Um, but we, we have to own that responsibility. And instead of, instead of people getting all, you know, their panties in a bunch on, on Facebook, um, we, we have to, you have to know that you, you can't break an arena record and people not struggle on the same ground because it just, it just amplifies both sides. The horses that are in great position, great posture, they're going to run the best times of their lives. And the horses that are in poor position or poor posture, it's going to be a wreck and they're probably going to fall, fall down on that same ground. So we, we have to put the responsibility back on ourselves. Agreed. So to wrap it up, honestly, I don't even know how long we've been talking, um, <laughs> but if somebody wants you to do one of your posture structure job analysis, where do they yeah. go? What does it cost? And what do they get out of it? We'll kind of wrap it up with that. So after listening, you know, hopefully our listeners go and take advantage of that, but where, tell us a little bit about it. Okay. So, um, you just go to the performance horse Academy, which is perfhorseacademy.com, Um, and just click on learn with us. Uh, and then we have, um, we've actually just re made it. Uh, it's your barrel horse blueprint. So basically we make a blueprint of, of what your horse's strengths and challenges are. 
Um, we send you a 15 to 20 minute overview. Um, and thanks to feedback from other people that have had it done, uh, we also do a Zoom follow-up call with you so you can ask questions about it. Um, you can have your horse as part of the Zoom call if you want. Um, and, you know, I, I always make at least one suggestion and, sh and share some of the knowledge from our course to help help people out uh, and help them understand their horse a little bit better. So it's a, it's a great way to really also see if you kind of like the, the information. Um, if, if you want to get into our program, like what Kayla is part of, um, you know, where you get to attend the classes or watch the replays if you have a busy life and, you know, get your runs analyzed and stuff like that. Cause that's, that's a big part of our program is that feedback back and forth. We are not a cookie cutter program. Like a lot of online courses are right now. It's very, very individualized. So you can, um, and we're having a little special, um, for the money barrel, um, because we love Kayla. <laughs> And so um, $25 of, of every um, barrel horse blueprint that is done between um, now and the Colorado Classic, we'll be donating a portion of that to the added money um, at the Colorado Classic maturity. Oh, wow. Thank you. So, you're welcome. You don't I, have to do that. But I, <laughs> that's really nice. I know, but I really, really hope the border is open so I can come or I can find some loophole um, to, to come down to your fraternity and, and do the intervals and the overhead videos. So fingers crossed, we need everybody, if you're listening to this before the Colorado Classic to lobby people to get the border open. Crossing fingers, it's nine weeks. It was it's nine weeks away as of Friday. So awesome. crossing fingers. And um, how much is the price to, be, to uh, begin with? It's, it's $99. I mean, all of that information for less than the price of a bit. Yes. That's a good and it'll deal. Tell you if you need your bits. We, yeah, exactly. We, we made you money after your assessment. Cause we thinned out your bit collection. I was like, you have 11 of the same bit, just, just with some different parts of them. That's, and none of these will ever work for you. That's a fact. Well, awesome. We'll post links. We hope everybody goes at least get the analysis done. Just see what you're looking at. Um, and then, you know, I, I am a full believer of the interval timing performance horse thing, and I'm not even very good sometimes catching up on everything. I have to watch a lot of replays. And like I said, it takes me about four months to get Sam the info she needs. Um, but thank you again for sharing information with us. Thanks we'll post so pictures people. and we will have you back on again. I am sure. Um, I appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Thank you for tuning in week after week. We recently passed 100,000 total listens, so it looks like we aren't going anywhere soon. All we ask is you tell your friends, tell your family, and keep telling us what you think. Thanks again to Sam Winslow and the Performance Horse Academy. We know we will be having you back. All of you run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.